Guess who is back, ladies and gentlemen? That's right. Old Jimmy T is back on the airwaves after missing last week. I apologize for not uploading. I was out. I was a little sick boy. Uh, I was under the weather, so I was unable to get a podcast produced. I fell behind too much, So, uh, but we're back. We're back now. We're going to talk some sports. You know, I was out, and that gave me plenty of time to watch sports, so we're going to talk sports. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Weekend Sports Rep Podcast. I am your host, James Timberlake. Uh, if you are new to the program, if I will beg you, please, if you don't mind, go to uh, any of the popular podcasting platforms that you typically listen to podcasts on. Go leave a rating on this fine show. Uh, and um, yeah, leave a good five-star rating if you don't mind. And then tell your friends about it. Hit the follow button on those podcasting platforms. Those will help out the analytics greatly. And I, I greatly appreciate that. If uh, you do end up doing that, big shout out to, to you if you go and do that. So welcome to the show. This week, we're going to start off... Um, College football. Start off with a little college football. Uh, we're going to kind of touch everything this week, but we're going to start off with college football. It was a sleepy week in college football. It was a little, it was a little kind of a nap week for a lot of really good teams. Washington, Oklahoma, Texas, North Carolina. They all slept their way through the weekend. North Carolina didn't wake up, so that was kind of sad. Three of the four teams actually did end up waking up. Uh, Washington, Oklahoma, and Texas, even though it was pretty, I mean, barely ended up waking up. Uh, Washington beat Arizona State 15-7. to I thought Arizona State was going to end up pulling off that upset, to be honest with you. Uh, it felt like they kind of had the momentum for a lot of that game. Uh, they just couldn't finish drives and actually score points. And then Washington, Michael Penix decided to actually start throwing the ball effectively downfield. He's been throwing the the ball downfield effectively all season long, but for whatever reason, in the first half of this game, he was completely ineffective through a couple picks in the start of this game and Arizona state would nearly mess around and, uh, and won the whole thing. They threw a pick six in the, in the waning seconds of the fourth quarter. So not the waning seconds, I guess the last couple minutes of the fourth quarter, uh, there was like four seventeen left or something like that. In the fourth quarter, they were driving Arizona state was driving into Washington territory and then threw a pick six. And I mean, if they score points there, if Arizona state scores points there, it's just fourth down on the Washington 13. If they end up scoring points in that scenario, preferably a touchdown, they could probably end up winning that football game. Uh, so Washington just totally asleep at the wheel, probably a little hungover, I would say, not literally, but a little little uh, big game hangover, if you will, Arizona State, they come in, kind of underestimate them after the big victory over Oregon last weekend, and then Arizona State, you know, you can, it's any given Sunday, as they say, right, I guess any given Saturday for college football, and I think it really rings true for college football, because any team can really lose to anybody in this game. And that's what's that's what's great about college football. Uh, Oklahoma, the same thing. UCF controlled a lot of that football game against Oklahoma. Took a, a, a late touchdown um, from Drake Stoops, to D- Dylan Gabriel to D- Drake Stoops, and a decent stop towards the end. There were only a couple really big plays that UCF got off. I think their defense played pretty well. Uh, Oklahoma's defense still played pretty well, uh, but they were still giving up some big plays over the middle and then big like 90-yard touchdown uh, down the sideline that... Uh, was bad for their defense, obviously. Uh, and their offense really just couldn't get a whole lot going until basically the second half. And they were able to kind of just hold on for the most part and then end up winning that game. That was a, another one where the Oklahoma just fell asleep at the wheel there. And they're coming off a bye, which is obviously much worse. Uh, Texas, kind of a similar thing. They jumped out to a big lead in the first half and then uh, kind of let Houston crawl back into that game. They were heading into halftime and Houston got a touchdown with a couple seconds left. Um, and basically left the door and Texas left the door open for Houston to score again in the third quarter. They were tied and then uh, tied all the way through the fourth quarter. And then finally Texas was able to step it up. But uh, another one where I think Texas just kind of falls asleep at the wheel. Um, There were a lot of those this weekend, unfortunately, but there were, I I mean, not unfortunately, that's one of the great reasons for football or for college football, I guess. Um, But yeah. And then Quinn gets hurt as well, which is going to be 
pay dividends way down the line. Another one of those scenarios where just get down and slide kids, kids, if you're quarterback, I say it time and time again, just go down and slide. Okay. If you're a quarterback, you don't need to be trying to run over people. All right. I don't care. There's no, unless it's a, a touchdown at the very end of the game of a super bowl or anything like that, there is no first down that you're going to be getting that is worse. That is worth you risking your, uh, your, uh, the value of your position for the rest of your team, if that makes sense, all right? Go down on the, on the th- make it third and one, get a nice little tush push in there or a fullback dive or something, and they'll get the first down, all right? Those are the big guys that are supposed to be taking the hits, you know? And don't, don't, try to, don't try to run over some linebacker if you're a quarterback, all right? You're only going to get hurt, and that's what happened. Quinn Ewers trying to, uh, I would argue, do too much in that scenario, gets hurt, and now I think he, he hurt his AC joint, I think is what it's called, on the shoulder, um, and now he's going to be hurt for... I think in the next few weeks, I think they're projecting him to be out the next few weeks. So we'll see if Texas kind of ride out the storm with Quinn Ewers gone. Uh, I think they're, it's not going to be Arch Manning. Like everybody I think is hoping it was going to be Arch Manning. I think it's going to be their other backup quarterback whom the name of, I cannot remember off the top of my head. I apologize, but they're taking on BYU, a good Kansas state team here pretty soon. And then if he's still out um, uh, at TCU and that happens in November 11th. So a couple of pretty tough games coming up for Texas if they're uh, missing their starting quarterback. And it sounds like the rumors are that it's going to be Malik Murphy as the starting quarterback for Texas in the next few weeks. Not um, Arch Manning. A fellow freshman, Malik Murphy. Not Arch Manning, though. The other freshman. Uh, So, we shall see what happens with Texas. Um, And then North Carolina. Man, oh man. They... Again, coming off of a pretty big win uh, a couple weeks ago, or I guess was, that was last weekend against Miami, a game they just completely dominated. Basically, but kind of North Carolina, kind of and Miami have kind of created a rivalry game of their own. They do not like each other. Um, similar to, it's just kind of a spontaneous, spontaneous rivalry. I don't know what you can kind of equate it to, but there are a couple of teams that kind of um, have that sort of spontaneity, I guess is what you could say. When it comes to uh, rivalry games like that, there aren't a whole lot that I can think of off the top of my head, but there are, I mean, if you're a fan of a particular team, you know, like Wyoming, Boise State, I think is kind of considered a rivalry, even though it doesn't necessarily have the... the age to it or anything like that, you know, the, the, the classical games that you can look back on and be like, yeah, these two have been going at it for years. It's more of a, a recency rivalry. Um, and I think that North Carolina, Miami is a good example of that happening right now. Um, Miami, North Carolina becoming a rivalry as, uh, the AC has kind of turned into, uh, what it is today. And it's been less of, um, you know, Miami dominating against or playing against Florida state. And then, you know, maybe going a tier below in the North Carolina, uh, coming in and doing, you know, the, the sort of pomp and circumstances they do, breaking the U over their knee, putting the U upside down, that sort of thing. And they've completely dominated that matchup over the last few years. Um, and then this weekend, coming off that big win against Miami, they come into, they go to, or yeah, they go on the road at Virginia. And Virginia is, or excuse me, not on the road. They were at home in this game, which is even crazier, to be honest with you. Um, North Carolina at home taking on Virginia and Virginia, by the way, terrible, a really bad football team. Just like looking at their record strictly. You can just strictly look at their record. Not a good football team, not a good football team by any means. I believe uh, North Carolina was favored by 23 and a half. If I remember correctly, 23 and a half in this game, Uh, Miami had not uh, had not beaten a FBS team up to that point, up to this point against uh, before taking on North Carolina. They'd lost 
uh, was it five in a row, Tennessee, they lost to James Madison, which, you know, that doesn't look like that bad of a loss now. Uh, but you know, Maryland, NC state, Boston college lost all those teams. They beat William and Mary, which is an FCS school. And then they go into North Carolina, Chapel Hill, a top 10 ranked school head into North Carolina and they beat North Carolina, which is disgusting. If you're North Carolina, it's a Mac Brown special to be honest with you. This is a very much a Mac Brown special. Mac Brown likes to have these games where, I mean, he will recruit a quarterback out of who is going to go, if not number one, probably number two in the NFL draft. He looks like every piece of an NFL prospect. Um, and then, I mean, he has a very good game, 24 for 48. Well, very good. Maybe not a little inefficient, but still 347 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. Um, and they end up losing, they end up losing the football game. Uh, they give up 436 yards. I mean, yeah, I, I, again, Drake may, it was not the problem in this game is their defense. Their defense couldn't stop anything in this game. Uh, 436 total yards to UVA of all people. They had 26 first downs. Uh, it was just a bad game, bad game for, especially the defense for North Carolina. And they end up losing, uh, to a team that was probably had their sights on at that point before the game had their sights on a uh, possible playoff berth. But that even as a one loss team, losing to UVA is not something, even if they go on to win the ACC, that's a tough loss because there's going to be multiple one loss teams. that are going to be burgeoning for a position in the playoff. And if you're comparing losses, you're not going to see very many, uh, one loss teams with their one loss is worse than that one. Like that one is, that's a bad, bad, bad one loss. Um, if you're North Carolina, but we'll see. I mean, again, they still have a lot of schedule to go with And I don't think they're going to, I personally, I don't think they're going to win out from here, but they do have, you know, a guy like Drake may and Drake may is somebody who can basically put them in every single game, but it's not like they have a very difficult schedule leading, um, uh, going towards the end uh, to, to the end of the season either. They got Georgia tech next weekend on the road. Campbell is another FCS school. And they have Duke. That'll be an interesting game. Um, if Riley Leonard can play in that game, that'll be huge for Duke. And Duke could pull off the upset there. I wouldn't be surprised either. Uh, at Clemson, that'll be a very difficult game, especially on the road in Clemson. And then at NC State, that's always a very interesting game. As a rivalry game, obviously, that'll be interesting. Um, but they could also win out. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see them win out. I think that Duke game's going to be very difficult. But they, if they do end up winning out, getting into the ACC championship game and winning it, um, it'll be hard-pressed to... I don't know. It'll be interesting because again, that loss to UVA will be probably the worst loss on any one loss teams. Um, actual schedule, probably the worst loss of every, of any one loss team. I would imagine, um, because UVA again, I, they probably won't be bowl eligible by the end of the season. Like they probably went four games and that one win, uh, one of those four wins will be against a top 10 ranked, um, North Carolina team. That was 23 and a half point favorites heading into that game. So, It'll be interesting to see where they end up at the end of the season, but that's a that's a monumental loss for North Carolina. Uh, let's move on to the poo-poo garbage. No good game of the week, ladies and gentlemen. Poo-poo garbage. I'm glad it's back. Uh, Iowa is really, I mean, Iowa is really, really trying to ruin this segment. I'm being honest with you guys. It might as well be the Iowa garbage no good game of the week um, just every week because it's terrible. This week was actually pretty good, even though it was very low scoring. The over-under for that Minnesota versus Iowa game was 30 and a half. 30 and a half total points for both teams scoring. That was the over under by set by Vegas. It was the lowest total uh, ever set by Vegas. And they had, since they were keeping track of it uh, for a college football game and it was 30 and a half. And guess what? The under hit, of course it did. The under hit, the final score was 12 to 10. It was actually a good game. Not without controversy. Obviously, if you're an Iowa fan, you're very angry right now. I mean, understandably, I don't know if it was a fair catch or not. I don't love it when scenarios like that are made, um, 
are basically decided by referees uh, through replay like that. You know, that kind of ruins, I think, the moment. Um, but I mean, if they made the right call or not, I don't know if it really matters because, I mean, it, you lost anyways. It doesn't matter. Again, they had two total yards in the second half of offense. So, you know, did they deserve to win? No. You know, like that's kind of also the point we're at here. So uh, Minnesota beat Iowa 12 to 10. That was the final score. Uh, that's not the garbage poo-poo. That's my honorable. I'm in my honorable mention section. So that's not the poo-poo garbage. No good game of the week. But I was really doing their best to try to ruin the segment. They really, really are. And I hate them for it. But I mean, I can appreciate poo-poo garbage when I see it. Uh, Mississippi State beat Arkansas 7 to 3. That was another. That was an actual uh, SEC football score this weekend. Seven to three, Mississippi State won that game. Uh, that was another garbage game. Uh, we also had what else? We had uh, Charlotte beat uh, East Carolina ten to seven. Just off of no offense to either of these teams, but just off of names alone, Charlotte beating East Carolina ten to seven like that should probably be higher on the list for me. Um, but that won't. That's not my pick. I will not pick that one. Washington beat Arizona State. We talked about that one already. 15 to 7. That was a poo-poo garbage game. I expect a lot more out of Michael Penix, out of Washington in general, the entire offense. Um, even their defense. I thought, I mean, their defense actually played pretty good, but Arizona State's not good, you know, not a very good football team. Um, and that I mean, Washington should have won that game by, you know, double digits, 20 points, uh, if they if they had woken up and decided to play uh play the game that day. But you know, they escaped with a victory. That's not my poo-poo garbage, no good game of the week, though. My poo-poo garbage, no good game of the week this week, and it was a doozy, ladies and gentlemen. It'll hit close to home because it is a Mountain West Conference game. San Diego State and Nevada were playing, and Nevada won the game. A shutout. Nevada pitches a shutout. Six to nothing. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. A beautiful six to nothing ball game down in sunny San Diego was six to nothing. Uh, it was a disastrous game. It was disgusting. Neither of these teams' offense were very good. Nevada came into this game uh, with a 16 game losing streak, 16 straight losses for Nevada, but they pulled it out. They went six to nothing. Uh, it was a not an offensive showcase, that's for sure. Both these quarterbacks, they combined for quick math here, a hundred and uh, what is it? 145 passing yards, 145 total passing yards combined. Brandon Lewis for Nevada, nine for 22, 98 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, obviously Jalen Maiden for San Diego state, uh, six for 14, 47 passing yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, it was a field goal two field goal game for Nevada. That was the, the player of the game was Brandon Talton. Uh, the, the Nevada kicker two for four, which honestly not a very good night for Brandon Talton, but he had the only points. So he's technically the player of the game. Two for four kicking uh, gets both points two two field goals, six to nothing. The final score, Jake Browning misses a field goal for San Diego state. Uh, excuse me, not Jake Browning, Jack Browning, not Jake Browning, um, San Diego state. He uh, goes over one kicking. Uh, the, the, I guess the, I mean, I, I could say the kickers were the real players of the game, but maybe, maybe the other players of the game were the punters. I mean, an outstanding day by punters in this game, especially San Diego state. Um, Jack Browning, who's also their punter as well. Six punts, 258 net yards, three inside the 20. Somebody ring the Heisman bell. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got three inside the 20 in one game. There's something to be said about Jack Browning being able to flip the field for San Diego state, but it didn't pay off. They ended up losing six to nothing was the final score. It was a disgusting game. Um, I mean, if you were watching it, shout out to anybody that was watching it because I'm sure you would, didn't have a good time. That was probably pretty rough to watch, which is understandable. Both these teams, by the way, at the end of the day, uh, an offensive EPA of negative 19.13 for San Diego State and a negative 11.52 
for Nevada. Um, they were at least Nevada was at least a little bit successful in the red zone uh, because they were able to kick field goals in the red zone. Um, and you know, the rest of it was just kind of a disaster. And, and they had, I think one total explosive play for each team. It was a mess. It was a mess. I, you're lucky if you weren't watching it. I, I, if people pay tickets to go to this game, I feel really bad for you. Like they probably just gave up on football after this point. They were like, this, this isn't for me. You know, this, uh, this isn't for me. Uh, they both averaged under four yards per rush as well. Uh, which is, you know, it was just bad. It was bad. It was a bad, it was a bad day to watch football in beautiful San Diego, a six to nothing win for Nevada. They broke a 16 game losing streak though. That's, I mean, there's something to be said about that. That's pretty cool. Congratulations to Nevada for that. That's, you know, no laughing matter there. They won. They, they won for the first time in 16 games. I don't have the date in front of me when it last was, um, but it was 16 games. They had, they had lost in a row and then they went six to nothing, a real barn burner against San Diego state. So that was the poo poo garbage. No good game of the week. As for the actual good game of the week, I have to go with Utah USC. That was such a fun game. Um, as an Oklahoma fan, it felt good as well. You know, I was rooting for Utah. Uh, I don't love USC. They've been the, not the bane of my existence, but Lincoln Riley, I mean, they torched the doors on the way out, you know, torched the bridges on the way out, I should say. Um, and then to see him just still doing the same stuff where he's like, defense doesn't matter because I have a quarterback that's going to win the Heisman basically annually at this point. Uh, or at least be in contention for it annually at this point. Um, and then defense just, you know, craps all over themselves. And here we are. Utah wins 34, 32 game winning field goal. It was great, man. It just made me happy. It was a good game too. You know, I'm not just, I'm not, I mean, I'm rooting for the demise of USC, obviously. Uh, but it's not why that is the actual good game of the week. It was actually a really good game. And Utah was able to do it with a free safety playing running back that they switched from, uh, during the, I think after the Oregon state game, they were like, Hey, Free, I don't remember his name, but the free safety who was playing free safety at Oregon State when they lost that game, uh, they were like, hey, you need to play running back. And he ended up playing running back. And he actually had a pretty good game. Um, and then the quarterback for Utah was the backup quarterback because Cam Rising hasn't been playing. He's been out. I think they just announced after that game as well. He's going to be out for the rest of the year, which is a big loss for Utah, um, which, I mean, he's been out this whole time anyways, and they're still six and one. But still, I mean, that's uh, you kind of been sitting on the verge of hoping that he was going to come back at some point, but uh, no dice. It seems like he's going to be shut down for the rest of the year. Um, and the quarterback that was playing this weekend for uh, Utah was a man by the name of, I'm looking it up here. I'm trying to stall Bryson Barnes and the story behind Bryson Barnes. He's a pig farmer. Uh, and you know, it's not like he just walked off of the farm or anything like that, but I mean, he came into the season, uh, worked as a pig farmer, uh, and I think works at, or he grew up a pig farmer. And then I think he said he works at Lowe's in the off season or something like that, uh, beats Caleb Williams and the USC team. And now here we are two loss USC team. Their season is probably over Utah. Still a, a lot of, uh, in terms of, I mean, by the way, USC season's over in terms of playoff implications. I think they're done. No two loss team has ever made it into the playoff. I don't think it's going to happen this year. Um, and Utah, I mean, they're still in the running, but they got a tough schedule coming up. They got to play Oregon up next. That's going to be a very tough game, especially with Bryson Barnes, who had a decent game against USC. That's going to be a very difficult game for him to kind of overcome. Oregon's good on both sides of the football. Um, and then Arizona State, they should probably win that game. Although, I mean, I don't know. Arizona State just put on a pretty good show. 
Um, and then they travel to Washington and that's going to be a very difficult game. And then even at the end of the year, they have to play Colorado, which Colorado, you know, they can't, they can't stop anybody. They have the worst defense in the entire country in terms of total defense. Um, but still, I mean, I think they, they're still in the position to provide some fireworks here and there. So it'll be interesting to see. I don't know what to expect out of this Utah team. I don't think they're going to be, they're going to be going to be, uh, uh, competing for a playoff position by the end of the year, but they could still be competing for a Pac-12 championship, obviously. And um, in the Pac-12, boy, oh boy, I mean, they're going to, they do it every year. They're going to annihilate themselves. They love to just destroy their own chances of trying to get into the playoff. Washington, if they would have lost that game to Arizona State, that would have been real bad. I mean, Oregon is, um, uh, you know, they're going to have another shot at Washington if they end up making the Pac-12 championship, I think. Um, but again, like you still got Oregon State only has one loss in the conference. USC they lost to Utah. They're six and two, but they still only have one loss in the conference. So they could still really legitimately make the Pac-12 championship um, with two losses. And then if that's the case, they run the table all the way to the Pac-12 championship. They win the conference championship as a two loss team. They're probably not getting in, even if they win the conference championship um, as a two loss team. So it'll be interesting to see that, that there's nothing like the Pac-12 uh, in its ability to really cannibalize itself. I'm kind of expecting it to continue to happen through this year, obviously, because Again, a lot of these teams, like if Utah goes into Oregon and beats Oregon, uh, they're out of, I would imagine they're out of the uh, Pac-12 championship conversation and then Washington beats Utah or something like that. And then Washington loses to USC in the conference championship. That's a whole, I mean, there's so many scenarios in which they can cannibalize themselves in this, in this, uh, in this league that um, I'm kind of just expecting it to happen because they've done it uh, numerous times before. I mean, they basically haven't, they haven't really made it into the college football playoffs since was it Washington the last time that they made it back in 2015? I think was the last time a PAC 12 team made it to the college football playoff. And then basically since then, they've just been, uh, just been, you know, cannibalizing each other, um, until there's been no PAC 12, uh, PAC 12 team in the playoff since then. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see. I still think it's very much on the table though. And that's something I, I don't root for it, but you know, it'd be, it'll be, it'll be, it'd be funny to see happen again at the very end. It'd be the most PAC 12, thing to do at the very end of their existence. There's only two teams left in the Pac-12 after this year that they just cannibalize themselves one final time as one last hurrah. Beautiful podcast listeners, James here. It is time to hear from another one of our sponsors, Alpine Climate Control. If you're a listener of mine, you know that Alpine Climate Control has been supporting the stuff that I do for a very long time, years now, and they are now officially sponsoring the Weekend Sports Wrap podcast as well. If you're looking for somebody to set up air conditioning systems, air conditioners, that sort of thing, Alpine Climate Control is the people to see. They also have air conditioning tune-ups. A good idea if your AC is not working properly, if it's not functioning properly, if you're standing in front of it, you're like, this should be a lot colder, and it's not, probably needs a tune-up. So check them out for all your air conditioning needs and AC tune-ups. They also have furnace systems and fireplace inserts. We are slowly approaching the fall months, and it is a good idea to get those things figured out and worked on now than as you enter the fall months. But they're creme de la creme, the cream of their crop, their specialty is their outdoor living spaces. They've got seating, fire pits, lighting, barbecue grills. If you're somebody that like, likes a little backyard barbecue, then they are the people to see to set you up. That's Alpine Climate Control. Stop by their showroom. They're on Coffee Avenue just before Sheridan College and a little bit after Starbucks or go online to alpineclimatecontrol.com and you can see all of their offerings there as well. That's alpineclimatecontrol.com. And again, big thank you to Alpine Climate Control for sponsoring the program. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk some NFL now at this point. Um, I'm going to start off with a potential, a couple of potential fraud alerts. All right, so check your phone. 
we got some potential fraud alerts going on. All right. And uh, I hate to be the one to break this to everybody about the fraud alert system uh, and about the fraud alerts that we have going on right now. Uh, but I think we got a pretty obvious one in Buffalo. I'm sorry. I know we got a lot of Buffalo fans here. I apologize for this. Um, but I think we got a potential fraud alert in Buffalo. I don't see a lot. I, they lose to the Patriots uh, 29 to 26. I think was at the final score, something like that. I think it was 29 to 26 um, in a just a bad game. And not, not a week after uh, just a week after, I guess, really. Um, we were talking about um, Mac Jones being benched for Bailey Zappi, how terrible he's been all season long, just hasn't really developed into the quarterback that everybody was kind of expecting him to tie, kind of, I mean, half turn into, again, giant fill, uh, shoes to have to fill as well. I mean, very difficult shoes to fill. I'm not going to, not going to say, um, you know, that he's not, I never thought he was going to be Tom Brady by any means, um, but he has not lived up to, the um, expectations I think a lot of people had set for him, me included, I thought he was going to be better than he has been. And again, people were calling for him to be benched for Bailey Zappi, find another situation or find another uh, at least interesting quarterback that you know New York, New England Patriots fans can watch. Um, and then he comes out and uh, torches is probably too strong of a word, but I mean plays very effectively against uh, Josh Allen or against not Josh Allen, but the Buffalo bills and their defense finishes 25 for 30, 272 yards, a uh, passer rating of 126.7. He had an adjusted completion percentage of 86.2%. Uh, the defense for Buffalo was um, ineffective for the most part, I think is what we can say, especially their D line. They really could not do anything all game, but that's largely, I think because of new England, they were able to, uh, and Mac Jones, he was getting the ball out very quickly. Basically, I think he had just 2.1 seconds per pass or something like that, um, which is very quick. You basically can't have a very good pass rush if that is how quickly um, they are getting a, the opposing quarterback is getting the ball out. Uh, but even then, even outside of that, I mean, they were successful in the run game. They had a very high success rate uh, rushing the football. Basically, on every single down, they were doing getting anything they wanted on early downs, early passes, uh, early rushes, and early passes. Their late down, late down stuff was a little bit, um, a little more shaky, but um, they were having you know a, a large amount of success against the Bills running and passing the ball, and especially on early downs. And then Mac Jones, I mean, he just. It's probably his best game of his career, I would imagine. Um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head of any other games that really stuck out. But I mean, 25 for 30, 272 yards uh, is a pretty it's a pretty good game. He had two touchdowns as well. It was a pretty good game in the NFL. So um, I don't like. Here's the thing about the Bills. Okay, they can turn it around very quickly. Obviously, uh, Josh Allen, I still think is a worldy of a player. You know, one of the best players in the entire game. Um, so you have that position filled properly their defense is still a little shaky they're dealing with some pretty big injuries on that side of the football obviously trey white daquan jones matt milano those guys all went on injured reserve earlier in october um traded trey white's not coming back he uh, hurt his achilles i don't think he's expected back this year at all because he's well he tore his achilles so he's not expected at all period um and then matt milano daquan jones um they're on injured reserve as well so i wouldn't expect them back anytime soon either uh, uh, so those are Two, I mean, at the linebacker, basically every sector of the defense, they've lost somebody very important. Defensive tackle on Daquan Jones, Matt Milano, linebacker, and then Trey Tredavious White out at uh, quarterback, and that's their cornerback one. So, and I think those injuries have really affected them more than they're willing to let on, uh, if that makes sense. And now um, approaching a difficult part of their season, I would say, especially, I mean, they're going into 
Uh, they're taking on Tampa Bay at home, um, but on a Thursday night, so they have a short turnaround there, and then they go at the Bills, or excuse me, at the Bills, at the Bengals. Again, that's a very difficult game. Broncos, that should be a win, and then they have the Jets, that should be a win as well, but then they have the Eagles and the Chiefs back-to-back, and then the Cowboys after that, who knows about that game, the Chargers, who knows what team is going to show up there, and then Patriots, Dolphins. So an interesting situation uh, brewing in Buffalo. I think that, and again, they are a good enough team that they should be able to turn this around, um, I think, rather quickly if they you know feel like, I mean, they need to. I mean, I'm saying potential fraudler for a reason, um, but they have the positions filled out where they can turn it, turn it around quickly. I mean, Josh Allen's still one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He has had some still, still some very um, um, tenued, uh, tedious throws, if you will, uh, t- tenuous throws, I guess, tension rising throws. Uh, at times, he throws some, you know, head scratching balls. At times, he's very volatile. I think, um, but when he's on, I mean, there's almost nobody better in the league that's better than him. When he's really playing well, um, there's not many people that can beat him. But then, you know. And again, in this game, he wasn't bad by any means either. I mean, he was he played very effectively in this game. He was very good. Their defense just let them down a little bit. I think giving up 29 points to the Patriots is kind of um, unacceptable or unexpected, uh, even though, you know, again, the Bills have been dealing with those injuries. Um, and I think uh, those injuries might end up costing them in the long run. I think we're looking at a team that's probably going to end up probably playing for a wild card spot uh, because, one, I think the the Dolphins are still good enough to be able to kind of not run away with the AFC East, but they're good enough and avoiding injuries at this point in time um, that they should be able to win the AFC East. But um, yeah, the Bills and, and playing that again, that's a very dangerous, uh, a very, very dangerous playoff team, a uh, wildcard team uh, if they end up getting into that point and they can still go on to win the AFC East as well. And that wouldn't surprise me either. If the if Josh Allen just gets really hot, their defense starts to figure some things out. We've seen that before as well. Um, and, you know, people start coming off the injured list or injured reserve, if you will, um, a little bit sooner than, you know, this, you know, could all change very quickly as well. So we will see, uh, but I am putting a potential fraud alert, a potential fraud alert for the bills they are four and three on the season. Um, and again, a pretty difficult schedule coming up that Thursday game against the Buccaneers is nothing to guffaw at. If you will, that's a tough turnaround for both those teams really. Um, but again, after a loss like that, where you're favored pretty heavily in that game, and you lose, uh, they're favored by seven and a half in the game against the Patriots, um, and they lose the way that they did, and, you know, the Buccaneers, had they had a very difficult loss as well, but, um, you know, for a team with the expectations that the Bills have, uh, I think it maybe hits a little bit differently, so that's going to be a difficult game, I think, but, you know, they are at home, that should probably help them a little bit, I do expect them to win that game, uh, but then they go to the Bengals, that'll be a very difficult game, it'll be interesting to see what happens there, uh, and then a couple of weeks down the line, they got Chiefs, uh, and Eagles back to back. Is that right? Is that what I said? Chiefs Eagles back to back. I think that's right. I can't. Even, I can't even remember what I'm talking about. I can't even remember what I'm saying. To be honest with you. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see where they end up. Yeah, Eagles Eagles Chiefs back to back, and then the Cowboys and the Cowboys. Um, even though I don't think they're great, they're still a, a team that might be a difficult uh, team to get around. And then the Chargers as well. If Justin Herbert and that team just decides to show up, they can beat anybody, but they can also lose to anybody. So uh, a difficult four week stretch there. We'll see what happens with the Bills. Um, but yeah, that was, a a head scratching day for the bills on, on Sunday. I, I, I was not expecting that obviously. And, um, it was very surprising to say the least that they, um, it didn't just lose. I mean, they were, yeah, they kind of got handled in that game too. Like that's, you know, it's not like they just lost on, I mean, it was 29 to five. So they didn't lose by a field goal, obviously, but it wasn't a, um, you know, they had to come back through the first half. They were down 13 to three early on. Um, so, you know, it was kind of a battle that entire game and then Patriots were able to pull it out at the end. So, 
Uh, potential fraud alert. A potential fraud alert in the Bills. They can turn it around very quickly. We'll see. Um, just Let's just call it, I'm officially nervous. I'm officially nervous about the Buffalo Bills. Um, and then the other one, another AFC East team. Maybe the Dolphins. I don't want to say f- huge fraud alert on the Dolphins because I still think they're the best offense uh, in the league, like kind of by far at this point. Uh, but that loss to the Eagles, uh, granted, you know, another game that was probably closer than it felt. Um, but I think that game um, and just looking at the Dolphins schedule in general, um, you can kind of get a little we're maybe worried if if you want to, I guess I'm a little I'm a little worried about it, um, mainly because if you look at their schedule, a lot of their wins have come against like bad teams. Chargers, which at that was the very very beginning of the year, nobody kind of knew where anybody was at that point. But they beat the Chargers thirty six to thirty four. Uh, Patriots, even though they just come off that win against the Bills, not a good football team. They're a bad team. They beat the Patriots, the Broncos. We know where they're at. Then they lose to the Bills forty eight to twenty. Get blown out by the Bills, uh, a good team in the Bills. Uh, blown out forty eight to twenty. Beat a bad Giants team. Beat a bad Carolina team, and then lose to a good pay, uh, a good uh, Eagles team. So part of me is wondering now at this point. I think maybe getting a little um, feasting on the bad teams, which as a good team, that's what you're supposed to do. If you play bad teams, you're supposed to win uh, against bad football teams. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying anything bad about that, but you also got to win against the good teams at some point. You know, I mean, the games that you're not favored in and a lot of these, they weren't fair. The two losses that they have, they were not favored in. They were down. They were plus three uh, and plus three against both the Eagles and uh, three point dogs against the Eagles and the bills. Uh, So, you know, I think a potential maybe, maybe just kind of inching into fraud territory, I think, maybe for the Dolphins. Um, I think their defense is a huge question mark going forward. Their offense, I think, can kind of hang with anybody, but they really, they're kind of an old school team where I think they do have to somewhat establish the run for that passing offense to be really effective because their rushing offense is so effective. But if they're playing from behind, I don't think they're as good um, just airing it out, someone like the someone like the Chiefs do, where they basically just turn their passing game into a running game, where they're throwing a bunch of shallow cross stuff, dump outs that turn into runs. Um, but for the 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 Eagle or the Dolphins, excuse me, they like to make up these crazy creative running plays, and they establish running the football that way, and then they beat you downfield deep with Waddle and and Tyree Kill down the field. Um, so for a team like that, I, I think they kind of have to be at least you know, not necessarily have a lead the whole game, but be in it enough where they can still run the football very effectively. Um, and when they don't, then I think they have uh, some issues that they need to work out. And their defense is just, I mean, they had a lot of injuries last night as well, or I guess Sunday night as well, um, that they are, that they had to deal with against the Eagles. So, you know, that I think had something to play with it. They're still waiting on Jalen Ramsey to come back and that'll only make them better, obviously. Um, but right now, I mean, their defense just is not very effective, in my opinion, just isn't very good against good teams. I mean, 48 to the Bills, 31 to the Eagles. Um, and I don't know. It'll be interesting to see where they end up. I still think, I mean, they have a game against the Chiefs coming up. That's going to be in Germany. That'll be a very interesting game, kind of a measuring stick, if you will, type of game. Uh, for the Dolphins to see if they can kind of hang with a team like the Chiefs defending uh, defending Super Bowl champion Chiefs um, and see if they can kind of hang with the upper echelon of the AFC or get a win against a very good Chiefs team. But then after that, they have a very, I mean, they have a very easy schedule. They lose to the Chiefs. Um, they have three losses on their book. And then they got the Raiders, the Jets, the Commanders, the Titans, the Jets again. A good, a d- good, decent Cowboys team. And then they're at the Ravens and versus the Bills. So, 
They close out the season a little bit more difficult, but they're about coming up on a, a five to six week run where they should all be wins and they should all win relatively handily. Like they should beat the Jets relatively handily, in my opinion, um, even though that defense is very good as well. But it's hard to say, um, you know, what to expect out of the Jets team week in, week out either, because especially offensively, I have, I have no idea what to expect from that team. Their defense is very good, but they're offensively no idea what to expect. Um but yeah, then, you know, the Raiders, the Commanders, the Titans, they should win all of those games. Uh, and then even the, the Cowboys, they, they'll probably be favored in that point if everything, you know, stays as it is right now in terms of roster construction and everything like that. Uh, injury wise, they would probably be favored in that Cowboys game. But that's still, you know, that's not an easy. Uh, I don't think that's an easy win either. Um, and then at the Ravens, after what we just saw, if they say, you know, healthy in Baltimore as well, that's going to be they'll probably be underdogs in that game because that's a very good team as well. Um, so it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see. Where the Dolphins in them? I don't want to say I don't want to say potential potential fraudler, you know, but maybe it's like a inching into a little nervous about, if you will, a little nervous about the Miami Dolphins. I still think their offense is incredible, um, but we'll see. We, we'll have to see with the Dolphins. Um, I got to see them play somebody good and beat somebody actually good um, before we start calling them. I think I called them the best team in the AFC last week, but you know that was, you know, had, was, was I jumped the gas a little bit too there. Um, all right. Another quick thing I want to talk about. Those are potential, my potential fraud alerts. Um, the Giants, man, are they better off with Tyrod Taylor as their quarterback? Tyrod Taylor, he didn't play terrible, or he didn't play, I mean, he obviously didn't play terrible. He didn't play fantastic, though, necessarily. I thought he played pretty solid. He was throwing the football downfield, which is, uh, he looked a lot more comfortable in that situation and was throwing the football downfield a lot more than it felt like Daniel Jones had been doing all season. He didn't play, you know, astoundingly good where I was like, okay, this guy needs to be starting quarterback, but the offense looked at least somewhat competent under Tyrod Taylor, more so than it has under Daniel Jones. These last few weeks, um, they scored first half points, which was, that was the first time we could say that, uh, for the giants so far this season, which is insane because that was, we were into week seven and they hadn't scored points in the first half or scored a touchdown in the first half so far this year. That's mind boggling. Um, but Darren Waller looked a lot better uh, down the field. They were hitting Jalen Hyatt, which is, uh, a good sign because he's a speedster. He should be a game-breaking offensive piece down the field as a wide receiver, and they haven't been using him uh, very well at all or haven't been targeting him very well at all so far this season. Uh, but he was getting targets under Tyra Taylor, and the offense just looked like it was a lot more, um, I don't know, operating a lot more effectively in that game when Tyra Taylor was under center. So an interesting scenario. I don't think Tyra Taylor is going to win the starting role or anything like that because they did just pay Daniel Jones an absurd amount of money and that investment somewhat has to look like it's going to pay off. Um, but I think there is something to be said. If he's hurt another week, if Daniel Jones is out for another week or so um, and Tyra Taylor comes in and whoever they have coming up next year, they play the Jets and he, I don't think he's going to light up the Jets by any means. Um, but if he keeps them in that game with the Jets, then I think there's some very serious conversations that need to be had in uh, New York uh, because I don't think Daniel Jones would be very effective against that Jets team. But, you know, who knows? Who knows in that situation? But I just think that's an interesting, uh, an interesting, uh, um, an interesting scenario kind of playing out in New York where we see Tyra Taylor come in and he has a pretty good game against the Washington commanders um, and you know, for he had two touchdowns, but they ended up only scoring 14 points anyway. So it's not like it was, you know, an offensive showcase for Tyra Taylor and the New York giants offense, but they looked better than they have over the past few weeks with uh, Daniel Jones under center. So something to keep an eye on in New York. It'll be interesting to see what they end up doing 
Um, I, I do think they have to just out of a, I, I guess for the pride position that the giants would be in, in that situation, they have to put Daniel Jones back in there. You can't sign him to the deal that they just signed him, which was what a four year, um, I think $180 million contract or something like that. Let me, I'm going to double check that because that seems like a lot, but I'm going to double check 160 million. So it wasn't that far off Four year, $160 million contract, um, $92 million in guarantees. So they gave him the back. And if you're benching him, you know, after two good weeks with Tyra Taylor, then you kind of look like you're throwing up the white flag and that cannot be happening after he just signed a four-year contract. So when Daniel Jones does come back, I totally expect him to take the reins again, but if they start sputtering again and that offense just looks bad, you know, one, they'll just end up taking out the rest of the season and look to grab Drake may or Caleb Williams at the draft or whatever, and then say, screw it. Yeah, we got that one wrong with Daniel Jones. Um, or potentially, you know, if, uh, if, uh, they want to throw Tyra Taylor in there, I wouldn't be surprised by that either. We'll see. We'll see. Um, finally f- wrapping up the NFL, the Ravens, man. Wow. 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 We, uh, that team, I, I'm, I was a little bit down heading into last week on the Ravens. Obviously if they lose to the, they lost to the Steelers, um, their offense couldn't do anything against that Steelers defense. Uh, they go in, they beat the Titans next week or the week after. Um, and I'm still, I was still, I think a little bit down on the team just because that offense wasn't putting out what I thought it was capable of putting out. Um, and then Lamar Jackson, I mean, comes in gets the, the lions, a good lions defense, by the way, up to this point in the season, um, and just torches the lions, just torches, uh, the lions 21 for 27, 357 yards, three touchdowns, a 155.8 quarterback rating. Um, he was disgusting all day. He was good on the ground as well. He had a touchdown on the ground. Um, I mean, he hit, I think what, six different receivers throughout the game as well. Um, he was just, he's slinging it. It was the most comfortable I'd ever seen Lamar Jackson sitting in, but it's just sitting back in the pocket, not necessarily, um, escaping to run too early. He was, you know, inviting the pressure, if you will, and finding the open guys during that, those moments in pressure. Um, he was, he was incredible. That was one of the best games I've seen Lamar Jackson have. I think since um, he's become a pro, I mean, at the very least since his MVP season, which was a, f- a few years, a few years ago. So um, that, that was really good to see. It's good to see Lamar Jackson back to, um, I think possibly we could start talking about him, possibly MVP caliber type of a season. He's having a decent season so far. I don't know if I want to go that far yet. It's a little early, obviously, uh, but that was an MVP caliber, an MVP caliber performance against the, against the Lions, the Lions team that was coming in riding high, um, looking like they wanted to be and really take a commanding lead in the NFC North and really the NFC in general, um, or not, not a lead in it, but a commanding spot in the NFC playoff picture, I guess is what I should say. Um, and then, I mean, they're still, you know, lines are still five and two, so it's not like they've really fallen back by that much, but, uh, there's definitely questions to be had for the Lions after the Raven. I mean, if 38 to six is not a score that happens very often, especially against two, uh, when it comes to two very good uh, football teams, um, or what should be two very good football teams. Um, and the, the, uh, the, um, Lions just couldn't stop the Ravens from doing anything. I mean, uh, like I said, Lamar Jackson was basically doing whatever he wanted through the air. And then on the ground, they were having good plays, uh, from Gus Edwards. Um, and justice Hill was uh, effective on the ground as well. They just couldn't stop anything. The Lions, um, couldn't stop anything in either area of the, of the, um, of the field. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see where the Lions go from here. I don't know what to really expect from them. I think I don't think next week is going to be, um, you know, I shouldn't expect anything worse, obviously, from the Lions. They have a, a game against the Raiders coming up, and that's a game that they should win. They're eight-point favorites already in that game. Uh, and then they're at the Chargers, 
That'll be an interesting game as well. I still have a lot of faith in the Chargers, if you cannot tell. I still, still think that's a very good football team. For whatever reason, they're just not putting the product out on the field. They have so much talent on that team. But for whatever reason, they just can't put it out on the field. Um, it's a team that can really beat anybody and then lose to everybody at the same time. It's really confusing. Um, but then they have the Bears, the Giants, two very winnable games. The Saints, a very winnable game. The Bears, again, a very winnable game. Uh, really, a very easy schedule towards the end of the season for uh, the Lions. I think that's probably that that Ravens game is probably going to end up being the most difficult game um, that they had the rest of the season, I would say in terms of just looking at it from us, from, you know, the eye test, if you will, they have a Vikings game coming up, which the Vikings looked very good on Monday night. Um, but who knows which Vikings team is going to show up there. They have to travel to Dallas, dig on the Cowboys. Um, but I mean, you got two against the bears, one against the Packers, one against the saints, one against the Broncos, two against the Vikings and one against the Cowboys. I mean, I think that's, that uh, Ravens game is probably the hardest game that they're going to face for the rest of the season um, all the way to the end of their season, uh, the end of the regular season anyway. So it'll be interesting to see where the lions end up um, come season's end. But I think this was more of a, a good showing for the Ravens and it was a bad showing for the lions. If that makes sense. Um, I, I think the Ravens really showed what they're capable of, especially Lamar Jackson. I think Lamar Jackson is, I've always thought that he's a, you know, he won an MVP, obviously, but he's going to be, I think he's one of the best players in the National Football League. I don't think he gets, maybe even partially a little underrated in my opinion, and he has these games where he can just break out and do whatever he wants through the air and then still be very effective on the ground as well. And if he's throwing very effectively through the air um, and he's still got his mobility available, then he that makes him one of the most dangerous weapons in the entire league if he can do both of those things. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where the Ravens end up as well. Hello, my friends and fellow confidants. It is time now to hear a quick word from one of our sponsors, Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate. Now, look, I may have a bit of a hot take here, to be honest with you. I think there is no better way to watch a game of football, especially professional football, maybe even college football, than the comfort of your own home with your big TV, your own personal snacks. You know, you don't have to go to the concession stand to get a $9 hot dog paired with a $7.5 water. No, you can have your own water. You can make your own hot dogs at home and you can just sit there on your couch and watch football. You can't do any of that, though, without a home to do it in. And Jack and Kathleen Wood are the people to do it with at 307 Real Estate. They can help you at both buy and sell property that you are looking to list or purchase in the Sheridan area and beyond. They have been part of this community since 2004 when they first moved here. And ever since, they have been working to better the community and make it a more beautiful place to live. They are both ambassadors with the Chamber of Commerce, so they know this community like the back of their hand. So they are the people that you're going to want to talk to for all of your real estate needs, whether it be buying or selling. You've all heard the slogan, call Jack, get ready to pack. And you can call Jack at 307-763-1249 or Kathleen at 307-461-7203. That's Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate. Big thank you to them for sponsoring the show. Okay. I want to wrap things up here today. Uh, the final topic that I have, the NBA season starts today, Tuesday, the day of recording this. Uh, they have, what, two games, I guess, today is on opening night, and then everybody's in action tomorrow. Um, and I don't, want to th- I don't want to preview. I don't want to preview the league. Here's my preview. Uh, the Timber- or Timberwolves, the Nuggets are going to be good. Bucks are going to be very good. Boston Celtics are going to be very good. Um, Suns should be very good as well. And... 
I think that's about the extent. It'll be interesting to see uh, where the 76 are, 76ers are towards the trade deadline because that entire James Harden situation is a mess. Um, but that's like, you know, there you go. That There's my preview. It, nuggets are still going to be good. I'm curious to see how they fill the gap with Bruce Brown gone. Um, Bucks got Damian Lillard to pair with Giannis Antetokounmpo. I think that was a fantastic get for them. Celtics are going to be very good as well. They got Drew Holiday, which I think was a very decent acquisition for what they're trying to do over there. Um, and uh, Golden State, who knows where Golden State is? They're aging out a little bit. Can you believe Steph Curry is what is he thirty five now? Steph, I'm going to make I'm going to double check that Steph Curry age. I believe he's thirty five. I think he's yeah he's thirty. Steph Curry's thirty five years old. Isn't that crazy? That's insane. Uh, he's thirty five years old, but you know it feels like he doesn't age at all. I have no idea what to expect out of them. The Lakers, no idea what to expect out of them. Same with the Clippers, no idea what to expect out of them either. Memphis, I mean, who knows what's going on in Memphis? That's a team that should be good, but with the stuff that's going on with John Morant, uh, they just lost Stephen Adams for the entire year. Who knows? I mean, I don't know what to expect. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's that's. Hey, there you go. There, I, I hope you liked it. That's my preview for the season. I don't want to talk about a preview though. I don't want to talk too much about the preview. I don't want to talk about the preview very much at all. I want to talk about something that really upset me, really, really upset me that I saw um, was announced, I guess, released, I guess, leaked really uh, over the weekend. The NBA city jerseys, which in my opinion is one of the worst things that the NBA has ever done. I'm a big Jersey guy. I'm a huge, huge Jersey guy. I'm also a believer that you have to have some sort of identity with your team. And a lot of the NBA teams, ever since joining with Nike, to be honest with you, ever since then, uh, they've really lost a lot of their identity thanks to their jerseys kind of just flip-flopping every single season. And most of the time, they're not good. Um, At least in the last few years, they have not been very good. The City Edition jerseys that they've added, um, you don't have to wear particular jerseys as home and away jerseys anymore, which really frustrates me that doesn't make any sense to me imagine uh, watching a baseball team and the home team is wearing the gray jerseys just because they wanted to you know that's kind of where they're at now um and it's it's frustrating it doesn't make any sense i think a lot of the changes that nike decided to do with a lot of the jerseys in general have not been very good the color palette for the utah jazz is one of the most disgusting pieces of garbage I've ever seen. If you've seen the Utah Jazz jersey, just go look up the Utah Jazz right now. It is one of the worst color combos ever uh, added to the rest of the jersey itself, and the entire look of the Jazz is some of the worst I have ever seen. They have completely downgraded. I thought they were they were really good in the 90s where they really embraced, you know, the the purple and the mountain cold and everything with the mountains and everything like that on their jersey. That was the best time for their jerseys, and they've only gone downhill since then, and they're absolutely at the rock bottom right now. But their city jerseys that they just announced, I guess it was leaked. I don't know if it was announced or leaked. I think it was leaked. Um, the city jerseys that were developed by Nike for each team, it's one set of jerseys um, that is given to each team at the beginning of every, every single year. I think they wear them a couple times, like seven games out of the season uh, each year, um, if not more. I think it's like minimum of seven games or something like that uh, each year. Um, and by the way, do you remember back in the day, we used to just do, I mean, even back in the day is probably too, even 10 years ago, maybe a little bit less than that, seven years ago, we would just do Christmas jerseys. Like the Christmas jerseys were the new, the unique ones that we got every year. Like at the December 25th jerseys, Christmas day games, they had unique jerseys. And that was like the extent of the new jerseys you were going to see throughout the rest of the year. And now they're just implementing new jerseys every single season that are worn for like a decent amount of games every single year. It's terrible. 
It's God awful. And the ones that they released this year are some of the worst jerseys I think I've ever seen. Uh, there are some in, this is really bad for the listening audience. I apologize. Um, I really apologize for that, but I wanted to talk about it. Uh, they released their city jerseys that they were um, going to be wearing this year. And I think probably 28 of the, I guess, 20, excuse me, 26. There's 30 teams in the NBA. 36 of the, or 26 of the 30, excuse me, 26 of the 30 of these jerseys are just straight up bad. Like just really, really bad bad jerseys and it's really disappointing because uh there wasn't too long ago where like i don't know i don't even know how to describe the art of it i guess but the the minimalization of a lot of these jerseys is just it's disgusting it looks terrible just looks awful there's a lot of no implementation of a lot of their colors like the main colors that we're all used to seeing uh some of the wording just looks really awful i think a couple of these aren't terrible like if i were to pick on i'm looking at all of them right now some of the ones that i do like the minnesota timberwolves one i think it looks pretty cool um the orlando magic one i think looks really cool uh they're kind of embracing the pinstripe look again they have a star where the a goes on orlando if that makes sense um i think that looks pretty cool um they the the, the suns the valley one that they used to do the valley um suns one that they used to do used to be really cool i thought it was one of my favorite jerseys and the one that they put on this year looks terrible, not good at all. Really did just a very disappointing design. Uh, the Kings one is very good. They did a throwback to like the old school Rochester Royals design on the side. Like it's paneled down and says Kings. I think that one looks really cool. Um, but the rest of these just, Oh, the, the jazz one too. Excuse me. The jazz one should be their main uniform. This, this jazz one, this is the one that they should be using for their uniform. I can't believe this is a city edition Jersey. This should just be the one of their home uniform. It's purple. It's got the mountains. It's Utah. And it says Utah and purple and black. That should be the uniform period point blank done. Like that should just be it from here on out. Um, but the rest of them are terrible. Like the rest of them are just not very good. The New York Knicks one is God awful. Um, it looks like you have to read it in 3d glasses. The new Orleans Pelicans one is lime green and black. Uh, I think their colors are not either of those, if I remember correctly. The Milwaukee one isn't very good. It looks like a Timberwolves regular jersey. The Heat one, this one's the most corny. I just a corny, corny, corny one. It just it says Heat Culture. So bad. It's like sure, Heat Culture is definitely a thing. I believe in Heat Culture, but don't put it on the jersey. Okay, that's just kind of like something that's unsung. And spoken about in the hallways. All right. You don't just put a jersey of it. It's ridiculous. The Los Angeles one looks, the Lakers one looks terrible. The Clippers one is really boring. The Indy one looks, Indianapolis, the Indy Pacers, uh, the Indianapolis Pacers, Indiana Pacers, not the Indiana. What am I talking about? Indiana Pacers. Uh, theirs looks terrible. It looks like somebody threw up highlighter all over the sides. Um, and just disgusting. It's not a good look. San Francisco one, or it's San Francisco, but it's the Golden State Warriors. It's okay, I think, in my opinion. Uh, the colors, I think, are there. They're decent colors. I hate the font of the actual writing. Um, the Denver Nuggets one is disgusting uh, as a team that is a um, defending national champion that they have to... That says nothing. It says Denver Nuggets next to the panel, like toward the bottom left of the actual jersey that's usually tucked in. Um, and on the front, it just says 5280 with the, with the mountains in the background. It's terrible. It looks awful. It looks awful. 
Uh, the Mavs one actually isn't terrible. It's okay. Um, I, I like the colors a lot more um, in this one, in my opinion, because it embraces the colors like their actual colors more. Uh, it's one similar to the one they had last year, but the colors are different, but I like the colors of this one more actually. Um, Cleveland one is terrible. The Chicago one is terrible. Um, the, the Hornets there says buzz city, which just awful. Uh, the Nets one is terrible. It looks like an arts and crafts project. The Boston one, it looks like it's a white Jersey that somebody peed on looks terrible. And the Atlanta Hawks one is also very bad. It looks like somebody just typed ATL in Times New Roman font, no capital letters, and they called it good. And that was it. And it's not even the colors of their normal colors. That's that's what it is. The NBA used to be, I think, a haven for good uniforms, in my opinion. Like that used to be kind of the upper echelon of uniforms. Um, and ever and honestly, and it's disappointing because Nike, I think, is kind of um I think they're known for decent uniform making in my opinion. Like they, I think they used to do a lot of the Christmas jerseys and most of those were pretty good. Um, but now they're, I mean, just whoever the creative director is for the NBA jerseys, get a different job, <laughs> do something else, please. Because this, it looks terrible. I'm begging you, uh, you guys just look it up. I, I bet you'll will like five, maybe six of them. Five, maybe six. If you like more than six, there's something wrong with you. Okay, I'll just say it. There's something a little wrong. There's something a little off with you uh, because most of these, almost all of these are terrible. They're just god-awful jerseys um, that are, I don't know, just just look terrible. It, they look terrible. It looks like, um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to say they didn't spend any time on it or anything like that, but it looks like they put in just the absolute bare minimum of trying to create something around the city like, you know, uh, of Chicago or whatever it be. And then they're, but, but that's not what it is. I mean, they're not taking anything from uh, any of the city background or anything like that. They're just typing certain things into the Jersey uh, onto the Jersey and like, yeah, this is it. This is, this is it. And then changing the colors a little bit. And then they're like, yep, this is it. 5280. Get it because they're a mile high. That's the only thing they have to offer. Stupid. It's so dumb. Uh, All right. It is NBA season. I'm excited for that. I'm excited to watch some basketball again. It's good to have basketball background. And my team might actually be like somewhat good this year, which I'm excited. We're we're on the upswing. I'm a Thunder fan. I'm I'm an Oklahoma City Thunder fan. We're on the upswing, which is a good feeling. You know, not a whole lot of expectations, but, you know, should be better. You know, that sort of thing. And it's a good feeling to have. Uh, All right. That's going to wrap up the show, ladies and gentlemen. I want to thank you very much for tuning in this week. Uh, I will be back next week. We'll be talking a bunch of different stuff. Football again, probably. Talk some more baseball, probably a little bit more next week as we get more into the World Series, the ALCS. NLCS has been very fun. Just saw Game 7 last night. Uh, the Rangers won. Their bats are insane. Adolos Garcia is a superstar. Nathan Avaldi, I miss him every single day. Uh, then the other... Uh, the other game seven going on. I think that happens tonight uh, between the Diamondbacks and the Phillies. And uh, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. We'll talk more about that next week. Um, but yeah, I want to thank you guys very much for tuning in to the show. Please remember to leave a rating on any of those podcasting platforms. Greatly appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you next week. This has been the Weekend Sports Rep Podcast. I've been your host, James Timberlake.